As a kid, my friends would say I was the conspiracy theorist friend, but it felt like at that time, it was like the veil was being lifted and we really saw the ugly truth. And that was really dark to experience. Sure. And then, you know, finding the, more about the community, really. Right. The people in Bitcoin, it was kind of a light, like, whoa, here's like a dense community of people who have similar values to me where, you know, a year prior, I felt like I was the only one. Hey, everybody. This is the High Hash Rate Podcast. I'm Mike. And I'm Dan. And this podcast is just two plebs getting high and talking about Bitcoin, life, and the absurdity of the fiat world. Our guests don't necessarily get high with us, and you don't have to either. But it helps. Yo, welcome back to High Hash Rate. Today, we're talking to Martel Fox, and she is the founder of Later 4 uh, talent, uh, like a talent agency. So Martel, how are you doing? Hey, very good. Thanks for having me, Dan and Michael. I'm really excited for tonight's show. Uh, there's been a lot of like momentum, a lot of news, a lot of craziness going on as the bull market's been kicking off the past few weeks, past few months. Have you been getting in on the action? Any like, like business deals going, like what's going on? How are you preparing for the, the bull market? Business deals, I would say, yeah, things are really picking up. Uh, typically with hiring, we slow down over the holidays, but then I've picked up like maybe five new clients in the month of January, which is really awesome. And then I have a new teammate uh, recently joined me at the beginning of January. Her name's Thunder, She's the head of talent at Strike. She's still working interim there. But yeah, business is booming. I would say Earlier, a few weeks ago, when the ETF launch happened, I was also like super stoked, you know, seeing Adam Beck's tweets, seeing Samson Mao's tweets, telling my family, yeah. oh, it's going to go up. We're going to have a mega candle, all that stuff. And it was doing and it too. It for a moment yeah. in the early morning. And then it took a turn. And so since then, I've kind of been off Twitter a bit. And like, just let's focus on the work. Let's sure. not get too excited. So that's it's easy to get caught up in it, and it never yeah. it never happens on the 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 schedule that you expect. Um, yeah. But speaking of business, uh, can you and you've got a new partner? Can you talk a little bit more about what your business is and what you're doing? Yeah, would love to. Uh, so Layer Four Talent is a recruitment agency specifically for the Bitcoin space. We really focus on Bitcoin and Lightning companies. And within that niche, we're focused on technical and executive recruitment mainly. And yeah, it, it's been really fun so far uh, helping founders build up their companies. Both Thunder and I have a internal human resources background. So as I mentioned, she's the head of talent at Strike. Uh, my experience has been as a technical recruiter, head of talent, and a chief people officer. So we try to do a little, quite a bit more than recruitment. Uh, once people sign, we're with them every step and all the HR needs and organizational needs they might have. Um, so as somebody who interviews and hires in this uh, community right now, it's it's a small community um, and it is uh, hiring and just working in a lot of Bitcoin companies is a lot different than in the, uh, the fiat world or just the normal world. What kind of challenges or difficulties 
have you faced it like being a talent agent or you know agency uh compared to maybe do you have experience doing that in the the regular business world yeah so that i started out doing that before i found bitcoin and then once i discovered bitcoin i was thinking that i could apply this skill set um as it is a small industry so i think the challenges are really similar um there's of course cultural differences like you know I have different clients with different expectations as far as Bitcoin knowledge or Bitcoin culture um, for candidates. Um, other challenges, I think it's just that, as you said, the industry is small. So one thing that I'm really focused on is trying to bring talent from outside the space, maybe from the payments space, uh, for example, and into the Bitcoin space. So you know, the, there's a lot of opportunities out there, uh, even though the space is small and there's a lot of candidates. So, you know, try to not take from existing companies, but try sure. to make, yeah, make this industry bigger with more talent. Is there a lot of and like, can, can I just ask, what, what kind of talent are we talking about? Like talent across all industries is a, a specific industry. Well, the big, the Bitcoin space and it's software. So it's so like sort of like sticking tech. around the software. Okay. And tech. Yes. I don't, I don't really touch the mining stuff and I don't do hardware. Um, maybe later in the future, but we have plenty of business and software and it's kind of my niche. My experience has been in software SaaS companies, startups. Um, yeah. When you, when you're, you talk about like trying to maybe bring people from outside the industry and like the payments industry, do you coach the, um, the talent like to, to help, help them like know what to say in those interviews and be like don't you know maybe mention web3 and the word crypto so much if you're talking yeah. about crypto say bitcoin to some degree but i would say if they're talking a lot about web3 and crypto they're probably i'm not going to advance them um it's more like let's say i'm chasing a i'm headhunting i'm chasing someone from stripe and they're sure. really a no corner or these people like you know maybe in my asset i've lived in San Francisco for a while, I have a network of tech people there. They might hold Bitcoin and whatever else. And, you know, they're pro Bitcoin. They want their bags to pump, but they maybe haven't spent enough time or, you know, had enough time at all to investigate further. So I, I almost appreciate someone who isn't really fixated saying like, oh, I know all about crypto. I know all about Web3. It's maybe better to have someone I'm usually talking to people and bringing them to my clients that if they are not a Bitcoiner, they have a more open mind and maybe less familiarity with Bitcoin altogether, like a no coiner, but maybe holds Bitcoin too. Yeah. Uh, the We talked a, a little bit at the beginning about the ETFs and like the bull market kind of getting going, but you kind of see behind the scenes a lot of these companies. Uh, you you're probably talking to founders and um, people like that who are have plans to build. They have plans for growth. They're looking for the right people. Based on that little bit of insider information, if this was the stock market, right? Would you be can uh, would you be worried about getting busted for insider trading for being extra bullish for what the next year or two is going to be like based on just the what you're seeing? Well, yeah, I am extra bullish. And I think, you know, last year with the bear market, we just didn't know how long it would last. So I also saw a lot of companies struggling to get investment. But then even as soon as 
you know, this month I'm seeing funds coming in, you know, two VCs running, like investing in companies, but also, you know, themselves like starting new funds altogether. So I think more, more capital is coming into the space for sure. And that's now being deployed to the companies. They're going to start hiring or have started back up again. Whereas I was thinking last year, we really slowed down a lot, as every industry did, basically, with the economy. What about the interest in people coming to work in the space? Are, are people kind of leaving the, the you know, Silicon Valley or some of these yeah. other industries? To, are they showing interest in moving into Bitcoin? Yeah, totally. I've seen a lot of interest. And then um, in the AI space as well, like that's really what's super hot right now in Silicon Valley and the accelerationist movement. And there, a lot of them are discovering how important it is to have decentralized money. And they're on the path to Bitcoin and some of them are already there. So that's been really cool to see a community I also have a lot of respect for start to have mutual respect for Bitcoiners and not think we're crazy anymore. And I've I've seen that with my close friend group that's in San Francisco. You know, maybe a year or two ago, they were like, oh, good for you, the Bitcoin thing, but not asking a lot of questions about it was super supportive. And then now every time I see them, they've got tons of questions every time. Oh yeah, that's how it's, that's how you know it's kicking up. Yeah. Um, what about what about your personal story? When did you find Bitcoin, and like, what was that journey like, especially yeah. at the beginning? A few years ago, so at the time I was in. Okay, well, when I first found Bitcoin, it was actually through Robinhood. Um, had just been, you know, I don't know if you guys ever used Robinhood, but it was really cool. Um, myself and my friends are all really into it. One of my good friends was an early employee there, so I. Was I bought Bitcoin. I remember they had an email like, you can finally buy Bitcoin. So that was something I had been hearing about for a really long time, um, probably since even school days in San Francisco. And it finally was super accessible for me to buy what I thought was Bitcoin, but really I was buying the IOU of Bitcoin at the time. Um, but I really didn't have curiosity then. I didn't know about it. Um, then I'm continuing my career. I was living in uh, France and working in a software company, uh, started to also have a little more personal uh, wealth that I could invest. Um, and then through, so my fiance, actually, when we met, uh, he, you know, over time, we started being more serious. He told me, you know, things about Bitcoin, he was really passionate about it. And I was like, oh yeah, like I like Bitcoin too, but I really didn't understand what it meant to be a Bitcoiner. And then he used that phrase at one point. I was like, yeah, I, I'm a Bitcoiner too. And then, you know, through a long process, just started learning what that was. And then I was pretty lucky, got to go to El Salvador pretty early in my Bitcoin journey. And I think that's, that's when I really got to see what it was. And I would say I became a Bitcoiner on that trip because- Interesting. Before I was like, in theory, it's cool, sounds great, like really great. But I was so focused in my world and wasn't really stepping outside to see how it could really change change all of our lives. And then I went to El Salvador. I think one of my, my first transaction would have been like buying tamales in El Zante. 
from a lady who's selling them there. So that was really cool. And you could see like that was right after that trip was in 2020. So it would have been after like just seeing everything kind of take a turn for the worst. Everything felt like living in Europe, everything was kind of sour and miserable. And then you go to this place that everyone's smiling and happy and the energy was on the up. Uh, So that's when I would say like it really started that experience. I said, wow, I really want to start working in this space. And I started paying attention to the industry. I noticed there weren't a lot of human resources talents at the time. And I'd say there still aren't that many. And just thought, hey, I could maybe help out. I could apply my skills. Yeah. The um, Go ahead, Mike. How, how long were you in uh, El Salvador? For how long? Well, a fir- first trip was like three weeks. And then about a month later, I went back for five weeks. So you were there a long time. I was there a while. And then, yeah, fi- on my five-week trip, I met teammates from IBEX and then ended up working for them sometime after that. So oh, you, wow. You, uh, I was just going to ask, like, you go to El Salvador and... It's like, well, that's where you discover to be a Bitcoiner in a way. That's where I feel like I would own it and declare that I am a Bitcoiner in my journey. That it was, yeah, like uh, somebody says, oh, I'm a Bitcoiner. Uh, like when you said that you responded to your fiance, like I'm a Bitcoiner. I wasn't. It made yeah. me, yeah, it made me think like the the response, like, oh, like name that, like you're a fan of Nirvana, name their albums or like yeah. fan of Bitcoin. They start <laughs> well, quizzing you on it, right? If somebody says that, somebody starts quizzing you. You have no idea how deep how it you, goes. Right, exactly. I think when I first bought Bitcoin, I thought of it as a stock. Like that was my world that I was used to for investment. And I just thought, well, this is a really awesome performing asset. But as as we call it, the rabbit hole for a reason, uh, there's a lot of depth to discover. Right. The um, and your first touching point was Robinhood, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say it's probably why you felt like a stock. You know what I'm saying? Totally. Oh yeah. Just didn't think more about it. Well, I think a lot of people, including myself, when I originally bought it and started getting into it, it was it was it wasn't on Robinhood, but it was through like I think my first touch point was USAA, the insurance company had like a, a Coinbase wow. widget on their dashboard in like 2018. But then I was buying it on Coinbase and it was just like a stock, right? You were just watching the number go up and you're like, this is great. Yeah. And you're watching your money and you're like, yeah. So you would say I'm a Bitcoiner, but then you go and it doesn't have to be El Salvador. Uh, it could be like a conference or a couple of sure. similar situations where you're like, oh, these people, like I was, when I said I was a Bitcoiner, I was like, yeah, I love buying this and going up. And then you realize it's so much more like this is an actual community and this is what, you know, people uh, make, you know, I call, joke about it. It's a pilgrimage to El Salvador been there twice and it's probably going to go back again this year cool are you going for the having party i don't think i'm going to go for the having party i might go to poland to the uh european film yeah we've been invited we had oh so they're having their having party which is i think it's scheduled to be on my birthday my having oh what a good place to celebrate yeah pierre um tomek's co-founder of thought he's one of my really good friends Oh, nice. Him and his fiance. Yeah, he's great. Um, So that'll be, but I do want to go back to El Salvador maybe next month or maybe in March. Wow. So we'll see. Just get out of the winter. But um, you mentioned Ibex. So when you were in El Salvador, you were like, oh, this is, 
I'm going to make, I'm going to work in this. And then you yeah. met some people and you went to Ibex. What was that experience like? What did you do with, with Ibex? It was wonderful. So when I met, I, so this is at the end of the last bull market, which we thought was going to keep going for a while. Um, so they brought me on as a chief people officer. That was my last role, the role that I was in uh, when I met them. And the plan was to scale up the team. As you guys know, the industry uh, took a, a bit of a turn. Uh, the bull market ended. So we had to pivot and we adapt. Um, they had just grown from like seven to 30 people. So they really needed someone's help to kind of sort through things, put founders in new roles, uh, do a whole restructure. And then, yeah, just got to work on more operational type of stuff. So then uh, moved into a COO role, which was a really great opportunity for my career. And it was awesome. I love the IVEX team. Uh, at the same time, I did their CTO recruitment. We found Barrett Little. He joined the team. He's really awesome. And through that experience, I just realized like there's just so many amazing talents out there. There's a lot of great candidates and also many, many companies. And I just thought it would just refresh me like that's I feel like when I discovered recruitment years ago, that's when I hit my stride in my career. And I was like, oh, aha, I finally found what I've been looking for. I finally found what I meant to be doing. I found what I'm best at. And so, you know, COO role was cool. But once I had a taste again of what I love, I realized this is what I should be doing. I think, too, I was even before joining Ibex, I was ready to start my own company, but I wasn't quite I didn't quite have the courage. I didn't quite know what to do. And then that whole experience just made me realize, you know what, now or never, I better just do right. it. Right. So that was going to be my next question. This was your, this is your first uh, venture of, of, as being an entrepreneur. You were, you have it yeah. run. Okay. Yeah. So when you. Oh, wow. Yeah. Were, this is your first on your own. That's wow. That's yeah. crazy. I'm, yeah. I guess I'm wondering, is there. A connection or is there a correlation to because you mentioned prior that you were living in Europe and that you were um, uh, at one of your previous jobs um, and I assume you've probably traveled quite a bit uh, professionally and personally but now you've launched your own venture you're uh, you know a Bitcoiner and you're now you're living you know you said a few miles from your hometown yeah. is that is there is there a, a relationship between those two things? Is it have you decided to like come back home, or is it just to kind of get this thing launched off the ground? Um, I've just I decided to come back home before um, I I decided to do my own thing, and I guess the reason was after college I I went to Europe. I was there for mo like almost two years, came back to California for a short stint in Santa Barbara, as I was telling Michael earlier, and headed back over to Europe to live in Paris um, for another like five years. I did a nomad year traveling a lot in Europe and the Middle East, North Africa. And just, I had like, I had always been in company, a company where it was like very generous time off. So I'd go, you know, visit my parents. I could work remote. I'd often come back to California but over time I just I stopped having as much curiosity about the world and just started feeling like it's really nice to spend time with family and we missed each other a lot and I think I you know when I was younger I was more stubborn I didn't want to admit that I was homesick 
And it was really um, the experience, I would say the high, like how that really, how that happened was I was in Paris uh, during the lockdown of 2020 uh, in March and it was absolutely miserable because they were very strict. They were policing everybody. You had to have a note to go outside. You couldn't be socializing. A note to um, go outside, really? Yeah, it was so silly because it is so frustrating. <laughs> I hate I hate being told what to do when it doesn't make sense. We had to write our own note. So it's like, I would what? have to write, and it's in French, you have to write very French notes. Yo, that's some theo and shit And then right there. say why. And the reasons why, yeah, very, very much so. Reasons why were like getting groceries, going to exercise um and like walking a dog you couldn't do much else and then you had to write the time and i didn't have a printer where i was so it was like i was writing it and then that just becomes such a chore finally i figured out a hack i just wrote on a big paper and wrote the time at the very bottom so every time i just rip it off and then write a new time but it was a very depressing experience uh I mean, we okay, with my friends, we tried to sneak in, meet a couple of times. But for the most part, you know, I was very isolated. And I thought, you know, I prior to this experience, I also thought I was an introvert. I told myself this narrative that I am an introvert my whole life. And then in that experience, I realized, actually, I really need people. And I think it was refreshing to admit that. And then, you know, I thought two weeks I can make it I can make it through two weeks being alone. That's fine. And then after two weeks happened, I was like, I can't do more of this or why would I? And then right. meanwhile, I'm seeing on social media, my friends in California, they're going on the boat, they're hiking, they're laughing, having the best summer, best spring and summer. And so I was like, you know what? Who am I kidding? Why don't I go home to my family and enjoy life in nature? And I did just that. And I've pretty much been back. I've traveled, but I've been living back here most of the time since then. And yeah, very happy about it. I'm glad. Did It sounds like you discovered Bitcoin around this time. Yes. Yeah, so well, a lot of things happening at the same time. So did that... Uh... Did that freedom money or did that that social aspect of it, did that appeal to you? Is that what, uh, or was that just kind of a coincidence? No, I think it really appealed. I've always, I would say spiritually, like a lot of the values of a Bitcoiner are things that I felt. I mean, I grew up in a small mountain town. It's very, you know, people are very independent and sovereign here. Uh, so yeah, it just sounded right up my alley and I was like whoa this is right under my nose the whole time so it just and especially with everything going on right. in that time you know right. the veil was lifted I would say prior you know as a kid my friends would say I was the conspiracy theorist friend but it felt like at that time I was like the veil was being lifted and we really saw the ugly truth and that was really dark to experience sure. And then, you know, finding the, more about the community, really. Right. The people in Bitcoin, it was kind of a light, like, whoa, here's a, like a dense community of people who have similar values to me where, you know, a year prior, I felt like I was the only one. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, 
you don't like follow being told what to do and following rules if they don't make sense. It's like yeah. a lot of us put up with a lot of inconveniences or just like regulations or laws that are just like, ah, whatever. But yeah. if they don't make any sense, that's when you just start to be like, why are we doing this? Yep. Yeah, just going through the motions. What, what, what kind of ugly truth are you speaking to? Like, what are you, what are you seeing for the ugly truth? Well, just, I think it, as, as I was in France, like seeing that I had to write this note to go outside, seeing the pressure to get vaccines. I was also working in a human resource role. I had, you know, a lot of people I was taking care of and emotionally trying to check in on and just saw like, this is terrible. Why are we being locked down? Um, yeah. I'd, maybe you have opinions. Did you also see an ugly truth or two at that time? I think we all like sort of enter ugly truths. We all see, you know, that moment of like, oh my God. For me, it's like, this is how the money is made. Like seriously. Oh yeah. The money. The, this is how the fucking money is made. Like it just keeps on going further and further into negative. Yeah. Like, so that's the ugly truth for me. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> I have a, a, a question I really wanted to get to, but. Um, sure. And if you want to, okay. No, go ahead. It, what you were speaking about earlier, you know, made me think about it. And you're, you know, you're a Bitcoin business owner. You know, it's like a Bitcoin forward business. Do you, what would you say to someone that wanted to start their own business, uh, uh, you know, and move it into the Bitcoin space? I would say go for it. Um, it's not as scary as you think. I think the biggest hurdle for me or what I was, you know, worried about was like, oh, all the administrative stuff, well, the taxes and stuff. But there's people there that you contract to help you with that. Um, so there's so many tools. There's so many ways to build a business now that make it easier than ever. It's never been easier to build a business. And if not now, when? You got to go for it. The the worst that can happen is you end up going back to a different job, a similar job than you have now. The best thing, it could actually be even better than you know your current life if it works out. And there's a high chance it works out if you're determined. So yeah, I would also advise, of course, pivot, parlay your past experiences to something relevant. Um, another thing that I really didn't learn until... Bitcoin was like the niche type of thing. Um, I, I've never, I've, I've always been using LinkedIn for my work for recruitment. And then suddenly there's all this professional activity on uh, Twitter, uh, seeing like just growing a Twitter account. I saw, whoa, this, this is working because it's niche. And then I applied that same idea to my business. So I'm not just doing Bitcoin. I'm not touching hardware. I'm not touching mining. I'm really focused on software. Then within the software space, focus on technical and executive so I can know all the players, all the top talents. Um, I would say the niche thing is good. It also puts out the signal. People know and can you attract the right people, basically. It's right. a beacon. And it's it's such a relationship-focused uh you know, industry or relationship focused uh, job, specifically what you're doing. And that niche as aspect of it makes it um, much, like you said, but it's more, more signal. Like you, when you go yeah. to a conference, you go to an event, right? It's, it's those people that are there are passionate there. It's, it's, there's a lot of signal there. You're not just going to a Vegas, you know, vendor uh, conference where you're just going table to table and mm -hmm. you're talking to a bunch of schlubs. So what about that aspect of 
the relationship building, I mean, you must go to a lot of meetups, conferences, like that's got to yeah. be, that, that's work for you, but this also sounds kind of fun. It's so much fun. Yeah, I really love it. So it's interesting, as I told you, I I had thought my whole life I was an introvert. I told myself that narrative. So, but I was always working really social jobs, like as the chief people officer, I was talking to everyone constantly throughout the day as a recruiter doing the same. But then when I'd get home from work, I'd be like, oh, because I'm an introvert, like I'm too tired to like mm -hmm. go out and meet other friends or do stuff. And then when I decided to drop that narrative and be open-minded that actually maybe I've been wrong. Maybe I, I am more extroverted at times. Maybe I need time to recharge at other times. Um, now I, I have a really balanced and full life. I think that's been like one of the biggest things that's changed my life. Um, so going to all the events, going to the, the conferences, it's like I feel supercharged and I'm so hyped up on all the energy and I I will not stop. I'm walking around meeting everyone and it's quite a thrill. So yeah, I love that. I do need to travel a little bit less now though. Got so much going on. It's so hard. There's so many exciting events. It's hard to say no. You could ex just ex expense it to the company now. So it's not yes. going So it is an, a company expense, which is great. But even just time-wise, like, yeah, sure. yeah, got a lot going on. But it is, it's a direct benefit. Like the more I expand my network, it's totally great for the business. Do you think that you could have, um, you, that you could be doing what you're doing now and doing it as successfully if you hadn't convinced yourself that you maybe you weren't an introvert? No, I don't think no. I could. I mean, I was doing the, but I was exhausted. I was stressed before. Um, so this has helped me. And now it's like, it's pretty recent for me. I've always had friends, but it's always been hard to have friends like outside of work or maintain and be consistent. And now it's like, I'm seeing my family consistently. I'm seeing my non-work, non-Bitcoin friends about every weekend or even on a weeknight. So something I never would do before, be weeknight hangs because of work. Um, so I feel like that, yeah, I wouldn't be able to do what I, I do now. Everything's a process as you're building up. My my high hash rate conspiracy theory would be that maybe before Bitcoin, what you were doing professionally, like your nine to five, was just not maybe what your passion was, and so like your the energy you had to put into it just to do a good job and to to meet your own standards was so much that you didn't have energy outside of it. But now that you're doing something that you're so passionate about and that you feel like you're so just in uh, you know in sync with. Yeah, it's more efficient energy. So you've got all this time and energy now outside of work. To it's a pretty good theory. Yeah. It's pretty good. But I I was so passionate about okay. what I was doing before. I love what I was doing. I and I I just felt really fulfilled too. So I I I joined a company at ten people based in Paris. I realized like this visa thing. If I just take the time for everyone, I can bring in more international people, more perspectives more diverse mindsets. And so we ramped up to about 49 nationalities by the time I left there, went to 250 people. I hired most people and just everyone that, you know, I'd hang out with outside of work too, like really awesome friend, people who are still my friends today. So it was a really energizing thing. But I think by the time I, I left, I was bored. I had already, you know, achieved a lot of different things there. 
I felt very comfortable. I was on my heels. So yeah, there's there's some truth. I I had lost a little bit of passion towards the end. And that's when you know you need to do something else is when you stop learning, stop growing. I guess my question is um if before or what did you when you were younger, when you're growing up, how did you become the person you are today? Like what did you want to be when you were when you grew up, quote unquote, when you were in, you know, middle school? And how how sure. did you always chase that or did did you deviate along that path a lot along? Yeah. The um yeah, that's a good question, fun question. So yeah, I would say I deviated a whole lot and I wanted to do so many things. Um I didn't know by middle school, I was probably really into architecture then. I'd learned CAD, it was like really set. Hmm. Um, but I was also, you know, I wanted to be in anthropology, uh, doing some tomb reading type of stuff, exploring uh, other things I had been interested. I've always been interested in like um, health and like uh, holistic medicine. I've always had like a, a huge variety of interests, I think, that it was hard always to choose what to do. Um, I was definitely more shy and reserved at that age. So I think it took me a while to like come out of my shell. And that was just by exploring a few different things over time to get to where I am now. But say I definitely never expected ever to be working in I For example, I, at one point I was like, I'll never have a job on a computer or an office. Well, I did love like computer games, but I just couldn't picture myself in that world. Um, you know, thought no way, but here we are. And I never would have thought I'm working in like fin the fintech space. Never, ever, um, never thought I would be working in recruitment or human resources. When my One of my early jobs, the human resource office to me was like this stiff office that like if you had to go there, it meant you had to do paperwork which is really not fun or like something awkward or bad happened and it was it wasn't going to be a good time. So that was my that was my original thought about what human resources was, but working in a, a startup is very very different, very stark. Sure. I I have a question. Yeah. What what have your travels taught you? That's a good broad question. I would say so many things. Have you guys traveled a bit? Like my yeah, yeah. Launch, my I love 30, it. Feet. Yeah, I'm just like, okay, how do I think of a good enough answer that's going to capture everything? Um, you well, know you, what? Could, you could sort of the pair it down to a specific thing. The corniest thing, I would say the corniest thing was it's it taught me to appreciate my home more because when I grew up in this small mountain town, I was like, I need to get the hell out of here. And I was like trying so hard to get out of here and get away. And like, I hated it. I wanted to leave. And then, you know, through leaving, through experiencing other parts of the world and culture, like over many years, every time I'd come home, I'd start to appreciate what I had a lot more. And, you know, I'm in this beautiful nature place. Just before our call, I saw a coyote with, he got something in his mouth. He was running by the window. Like, it's it's an awesome place. I live on a canyon. It's really cool. There's, like, rivers and lakes and just so many beautiful scenic spots. And I think I just, I was 
I was naive. I didn't realize how good I had it. And I think that's another thing. I, like, gosh, when I left, when I was in college, I was like, I need to get out of America. Like, I don't like America. And that was really naive. I think a lot of us thought that. Yeah, for sure. yeah I love America. And as a woman, I am so lucky to be born in America and raised as an American woman. Like that is the best place in the whole world to be born as a woman. So I'm really, I'm really happy to be here now, but it took a while to learn that and have that appreciation. Yeah. I, I, my, or my experience is very similar, uh, especially growing up and living in the Midwest, like people in the Midwest, especially young people, all they they cannot wait to do anything but to get mm -hmm. out of the Midwest yeah. to go somewhere else, whether it's to travel the world or just go to uh, California or New York or even, you know, Denver, anything. Uh, and I and I felt the same way. And I mm -hmm. oftentimes still do when it's really cold here. But like you're right, traveling, you kind of learn that there's a lot to, that you didn't appreciate. You didn't stop the smell the roses back home. Uh, and this, it's a lot of what shapes you and who you are is where you're, where you grew up and where you're from. And totally. you can't, um, that's, that'll always be with you. And I think you definitely learn to come kind of appreciate your roots. Yeah. Awesome. What about you, Michael? Well, what about me? I don't know if you had a similar thought or what have you learned from travel? I don't, I don't even remember the question. <laughs> what? what have you learned from your travels? Oh, that, that, that was the question. Well, yeah, that that is a terrible question. I'm sorry I asked that. But, no, it's um, it's actually a really good question. I really like that Dan and I got to share what we shared. Look, I'll tell you what I t what I've learned about my travels. I think is that once you travel, you realize uh, that you ain't shit. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's know? true. You are. You are. Uh, the more you travel, the more you realize you're you were part of this whole ecosystem of people that act and think differently and it history. Yeah. yeah. And it really humbles you as a person. Yeah. You know, you really discover new, um, communities, new traits of living and, uh, breathing, you know, new different types of foods, everything. And, yeah. and when you come back to your home, home planet, I'd say it sort of gives you a new perspective and, and humbles you among, among, among the many, you know, totally. Yeah, I remember times where it's like you go to a foreign country and you don't speak the language and it's like just trying to order at a restaurant is really hard and hu humbling experience and you feel like an outsider and excluded and pretty lowly and, they're, and you they're, can't communicate. They're notoriously friendly in France if you only speak English, I thought. You know what? That's such a stereotype Um I would say so it's it's because of Paris that that stereotype exists um in like the countryside I don't know if you guys are in like country or or big um like cities or suburban but suburban basically like the country people in France are just like to me very similar to the country people here in northern California like mm -hmm. focus on agriculture and you know small Weed town farms. vibes yeah <laughs> Other kinds of farms there yeah. in France. But um, yeah, I would say like Paris, it's kind of a hustle and bustle. It's like New York. And New Yorkers have that same reputation for being a bit rude. No mm -hmm. offense to anyone from New York. People have said that about New Yorkers. Um, so 
there's the a whole country of France. Everyone's getting a bad rap because the Parisians are hustle bustle city. I was just going to think that well, it's just because the concentration of communication has to happen so fast in the cities that yeah, yeah. to stick to one language is the the most economic thing. So anyone who sure. doesn't speak, I mean, I think that that's it's like you have to take another yeah. layer off of you know that time that you're yeah to, to to defend the assholes on the east coast a little bit even though i'm not one of them so i don't know why i have sure. to defend them i i did hear like it's, I, it was a joke or something i saw on instagram and i think it captured it perfectly it's like if you have a flat tire in los angeles and you're trying to change it people will drive by and they'll stop and they'll be like oh i feel so sorry for you i hope i hope you change it good vibes and they drive off but in new york it, if they see you trying, they'll pull over and they'll cuss at you and call you an idiot, but they'll help you yeah. change your tire. That's good. You know what I mean? That's awesome. Yeah. That's so, cool. I will that to, that's a bit like tough love. And it reminds me like, well, in, so I lived in Barcelona and like everyone there is like, they're super stoked to speak English. Like you try to uh, talk in Spanish and they just, they hear the accent and they switch to English because they want to show that they're, speaking English and they're good at it and they want to get their practice in and they really adapt to you whereas then in Paris it's more tough love they're like oh so they hear you speaking a bit of French and then they up they up the level and they start talking it's happened to me so many times where I had like at one point I had a more advanced level um like advanced intermediate I could have conversations but then people would test me and start speaking in like these formal tenses and different things. And a few times friends were like, yeah, they were just, no one really talks like that. It's not casual. So, but it's tough love. It's like if, if everyone, yeah. And I would say like in Barcelona, I didn't learn Spanish and I was there long enough too, but it was, I was living this very easy lifestyle where everyone was speaking English and in France, I learned the language because it was, you know, more difficult to to have friendships and do things without doing that. So tough love can be good sometimes. For sure. I think from the little bit of uh, Spanish I took in college, the only thing that I would be able to think about in Spain would be like, this is where they say vosotros instead of nosotros. I just have to get that one in my head. Wow. Thought. As I would, I would be, they wouldn't be not able to say anything else um i guess i love mike you got any more questions i lost my train of thought <laughs> i do i do have a whole entire uh oh, cool topic channel to go down and that topic channel is this so Uh-oh. martel like i said at the beginning of this uh before we, we signed on before we even started recording i said i you know i I look at your Twitter uh, page and I see this image of you surfing and I'm thinking, okay, someone who puts an image of themselves surfing, surfing has to know enough about surfing to get that image yeah. typically, unless you're a Photoshop wizard or something, right? So I would say, what can you talk a little bit about your surfing past? Sure. And, uh, and it's definitely, I would say a past. Maybe I should update my picture. And don't forget to mention there's a dog I'm surfing with oh, a dog. So it's dog, like, right? that's sure. the coolest. It's the coolest picture I've ever taken. So it's like, okay, when I think about what do I put for my social media profile, maybe the coolest picture I've ever taken. Wow. Me surfing with a dog. Um, so yeah, I was into surfing a lot. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I'm from a mountain town, but California, you just get attracted to surfing. Um, but yeah, maybe did a surf camp a long time ago in Dominican Republic. Uh, you know, get some experience uh, with a coach, and then you can start going on your own. So I've surfed maybe there, California, um, Costa Rica. Surfed actually the first time I surfed was in Spain in the Basque country. Um, surfed in France. There's a lot of places that I had on my list to surf, but actually when I was in Costa Rica, I. What I I don't know. Do you guys surf? No, it's I, a topic that comes up on this show okay. like every, yeah. every single show. There's a lot of surfers. <laughs> There's a lot of surfers, and I'm not claiming I'm really great surfer or anything, but um, I there was a crazy like the waves were looking low and they were a lot bigger than I imagined, and then one just that I was on it just went up high really fast, and suddenly I'm like, whoa, I'm far up. And then I kind of nosedived, and so my board went down. And then my, my, I did like a, I my back legs went over. Like I don't know how to describe, but if this is me, like my my back legs went over the top of me, so I like hurt my back a bit. And then it kind of just it wasn't like a serious. I don't I didn't go to a doctor or anything. It was just like oh I screwed up my back. I needed like take it easy for like the next week or so and then my back ended up hurting for like a month or a while and after that I was like I don't want to do this anymore and actually a trip before that I was in Mexico surfing in Saulita and I had gotten I didn't step on a sea urchin but like when I was um like moving away from some rocks like the top of my foot hit a sea urchin and I don't know if you've ever experienced that but like it's horrible. Like it hurt in the moment, but actually for, I would say like almost a year, Whoa. like my foot was hurting all the time, like really sore. Um, they So basically there's like little pieces. You, you If you come into contact with one, it gets under the skin and then it breaks off. And like, you know, they ha then they on the beach, like a guy has a kit and everyone's usually prepared and they like had some some stinging liquid antiseptic type stuff and then a needle and they're trying to poke it out of you and get every little fragment out but they're clearly like something was left in my foot um for too long eventually now my foot is totally fine but after those two experiences i was just like you know what i'm i don't want to do this anymore i can be perfectly happy without Maybe that's a bit not brave of me, but like I feel like I've had a very adventurous beginning of my life. Me, I don't need to be as adventurous as I used to be. Well, can I just say this? You made me think that sea urchins are like these, like nature's landmines. They really are. Man, that's what, a good that's way crazy. to describe it. And gosh, for I know people that have actually stepped on them, and it's a lot worse. Like a whole lot worse. They have to have surgery and everything. Well, if you if you post it on and ask for advice on Bitcoin Twitter, I'm sure they have like some supplements. There's like some seed yeah. oil free diets that would have helped for sea urchin foot. I'm sure yeah. they got something for sea urchin. I tried. Well, I did like soak it my foot in like Epsom salts a yeah. lot for a long time. But I'm sure somebody has some. If comment down below if you have a better <laughs> suggestion for anyone who's experiencing this right now.
So by the time you by the time you got to you spent eight weeks in Bitcoin Beach and you didn't you weren't surfing at that point. I didn't surf. No. See, I I did. Yeah, I didn't surf at all there. So I sh probably should have. But like this is, I I think that we yeah we went to Costa Rica and then El Salvador like right after for the first trip. It was yeah Costa Rica and El Salvador. So like when I was in El Salvador the first time, like my back was still hurting and I was probably at that point, I didn't decide like I'm not surfing again. It was just like, I can't surf right now, maybe next time. Well, when I went down there, it's, I, it was fun, but then I got, it was, I, I was way in over my head at one point without much skill. And I was, it was, it was like, I made it back. I was like, I thought I was going to drown out there. This is scary. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to do it again, but. I'm it's just... tiresome. It's a lot of work, but yeah. it's good. It's such a, I would say though, it like, there's few better feelings of when you catch a wave and you go in sideways on the wave and you're just going and you just feel so good. It's so euphoric and it's incredible. And when I first experienced that, I was like, I want to do this all the time. It's very, you can For see sure. why people put in all that work. For sure. Mike, do you surf? Bro, I can't surf. You can't? I have um, perforated eardrums. Oh. oh. I thought you were going to say flat feet. So, <laughs> actually, I think there's like devices you can put in your ear, Michael, if you wanted to try, because I'm pretty sure my old boss, he's a surfer. He had something with his eardrum and he would like put this it's like a big thing in his ear like to fully cover like seal it off he does it every time yeah interesting uh, maybe mike there's smokes. no technology mike, mike smokes he doesn't have the cardio <laughs> it takes a lot of, of like arm strength oh yeah that's, that's i used to well i used to be a runner i was more of a runner anyway yeah got your go. legs leg strength do you guys do any other question. sports? Oh, go ahead. Oh. Uh, other sports, did you say? Yeah, go go to it. All, all I got left, all I got left go is jujitsu. I do jujitsu. Oh, cool. So I jujitsu. Wow. So I'm, uh, but I played a lot of other stuff in high school, but I was never very athletic, but I got a little bit better at jujitsu. My, my relationship with rollerblading is like your relationship with surfing. That's what I would say. Oh. How, so that's where I live. And what was your injury or traumatic event that took you out of rollerblading, Mike? Um, it was a Did you get embarrassed at the uh, at the Venice the Venice. It was. Or? I think it was an emotional embarrassment. I, yeah. I swear to God, I think you're right. I think that's exactly what it was. I, but I don't want to go into that story. Other adults <laughs> saw you on rollerblades, and you were too embarrassed. Uh, that's cool that's that you're rollerblading. Yeah. Um, are you guys going to Bitcoin Atlantis in Madeira? Not this year, unfortunately. I, of, I didn't hear about it till it was like coming right up. And I was like, all right, I'll go next year. Yeah, it's going to be so Unless fun. someone sponsors us. Someone, if, hey, if someone wants to sponsor us out there to go to this place, we will go. If you're listening. Right. Yeah. We can, we'll see. Maybe maybe they will. Um, one of, I'm inviting, because I'm doing the pitch day there. So organizing the rise of Atlantis to start up pitch day. And so founders are going to pitch to investors and other judges. And um, I'm having a couple of my friends from like my old world, not Bitcoin world, um, in tech come out. And one of my friends, uh, 
fiance is, is a pro rollerblader and he also films. So he's going to do some filming and we're going to turn them into Bitcoiners over the course of a few days. But yeah, I'll, I think after his Bitcoiner, he'll be going to all these other events and I'll introduce you and maybe you guys can rollerblade together. Mike, you're going to have to get over your fear and you're going to have to team up with this guy because he sounds like the perfect like business partner or film partner. Yeah. Yeah, actually. He's very talented. He's artistic. Yeah, I reached a certain point and I just, I just stopped. I, uh, um, cool. I do, have a, I do have a question if you're not going to get into something else too. No, no, go ahead. The question was a question that we ask pretty much everyone who comes on the show. It's uh, oh. what aspect of Bitcoin, or uh, Dan, it's like usually what aspect of Bitcoin uh, are you thinking about now or that really hit Yeah, what is it? Yeah, what is it? What is it about Bitcoin that is just that's caught your attention and that maybe you spend a little bit more time going down the side rabbit holes thinking about? Is there anything that comes to mind? Because I was thinking about uh, what I was going to ask you earlier is you mentioned having so many different interests growing up anthropology, architecture, now you're in tech, uh, you travel. Yeah. And I think that if people that have a lot of interests and things that they've gotten into, I think that, in my opinion, you see where there's something wrong with that part of culture or society that maybe is and sure. the result of fiat that Bitcoin can fix, you know, because they say yeah. it fixes this. I was wondering yeah. if there's anything like that that maybe you've been fixated on lately. Sure. Or I get, I think maybe we're all kind of gravitating towards the same thing. We're feeling confident, like we've got some affirmation in Bitcoin is going up. We're changing the world. We're fixing the money. We're fixing the world. So the question that I ask is what next? So when we fix the money, what else we're going to fix? In theory, we're talking about so many things. Um, prior to Bitcoin, as I told you, I've always been really passionate about health. And that's been kind of my uh, talk for hours about that journey. But I've, I'd love if people could take back the power over their own health. Like it, it was something that was like, I don't know, there's a lot of folk medicine, a lot of generational medicine and things that we've just been losing over time and it's kind of a tragedy and now people are so dependent on a really backward system so i think like for me after bitcoin i've got a big plan i i want to work on that problem and getting people to you know take charge of their life and you know within reason like of course we still need some type of medical treatments that are you know have been created within this fiat system but i think there's a lot of things we can do big levers to pull on to take care of ourselves uh, without you know resorting to pharmaceuticals yeah. and stuff yeah i think there's a lot of ancient wisdom in medicines like you mentioned totally. and there's kind of weeding out a lot of the the fiat and the noise to find the stuff that have helped people um remedy yeah. things for generations that's great yeah um well martel thanks so much uh, for coming on tonight where do you want to send people if they want to learn more about layer four or anything else and how to contact you sure thanks um well if you're watching this you probably you probably found it through twitter so you could um click on the tag of my name and then you'll see layer four talent it's l-a-y-e-r number four T-A-L-E-N-T dot com. 
that'll also be on my Twitter. So it's probably easier just click around. Um, on the website, you can enter the talent pool. Uh, if you are a founder, you can also contact me to explore uh, having some help in recruitment or you know people type of services. Uh, so yeah, and would love to meet anyone who's curious about a job in the Bitcoin space. So yeah. Anyways, thanks you guys for inviting me. I was really excited to do this show and it's been a great time. I appreciate the opportunity and I hope we can do it again soon or meet in person and continue sure. our chat. Can, can I ask one more question? Sure. Question is, <laughs> so much suspense oh my gosh the question is um, where do you see us going in the future no that's not the question god damn it what did you, do you have anything you wanted to talk about tonight did you have anything that you came on and you're, you've been thinking about recently that's the fucking question god damn it. you know I wasn't I wasn't sure about what we would talk about. I was really curious. I I didn't have any clue. Um, so I came into it pretty open-minded. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, I think we did. I think we covered a lot of ground. Lot of I mean, there's always Agreed. more to talk about. Agreed. You know, next time I would like to talk more about you guys. I'd love to know oh, sure. more about each of you. Yeah. Uh, before we cut it real quick, you, uh, if you are one of those people, a talent, you want to enter the talent pool, what type of skills and jobs are best for that? Because I think a lot of people think it's just being a coder, but is there yeah. is there anything else that if you are really wanting to get into this industry that, that you should think about that you might be able to? Yeah, I think, and we're seeing this shift, as I told you, like we have more, more funding overall. Um, a lot of companies are expanding. I think, so last year, in a bear market, you have to be prudent, um, more engineering-focused. Companies are always pretty engineering-focused. But now we need people to sell those products. So we need marketers. We need salespeople. Um, we need communicators above all. So I would say it depends, of course, on the experience that you've had. But I always advise if, if you have been working in, let's say you are working in like hospitality or real estate or something like as a communicator, you have to try to find ways where you can pivot to the Bitcoin space. So like there are companies that are exploring like some things related to mortgages and um, related to the housing market with Bitcoin. So like really, again, focus on the niche. Don't apply to all the companies and just hope for the best. Like find one that really would value you and value your past experiences and learn about them, see how you would fit. But yeah, always try to figure out like what what's a strategic next step for you that values your previous experience. For sure. Yeah, thanks. Thank, I think thank you very much, Martel, for, for that. And thank you for coming on today. Cool. Yeah, thanks a lot. Hope you guys have a great night. Thank you again for listening to the High Hash Rate Podcast with Dan and Mike. If you want to learn more about the podcast and see what we're up to, you can find us at highhashrate.com. Or if you just want to speak to a couple of baked 80 IQ plebs, reach out to us at hello at highhashrate.com. 
or you can reach out to us at the high hash rate handle on X. Later, everybody. Holy Toledo!